I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Scott Moody, co-founder of Authentech, a company that makes fingerprint sensors that could unlock mobile phones and computers. Authentech was sold to Apple in 2012 for $356 million, and the fingerprint sensor first appeared on the iPhone 5S in 2013. Scott is also the co-founder of K4 Connect, a company that helps users integrate disparate technologies into one platform. Welcome. Well, thank you, Jessica. It's great to be here. So you worked at Harris Semiconductor for 18 years. You had some colleagues who introduced the idea of a fingerprint sensor technology to you. Can you talk about that moment when you first came into contact with this idea? There was a guy that worked for me, Nick Van Vano. He set up a meeting, wanted to introduce me to this other guy named Dale Setlack. You know, this was back a while ago, the, you know, late 1990s, and uh, I think we still wore suits or at least ties uh, into work most days. And here comes Dale. You know, Dale has uh, long hair uh, in a ponytail. He's a little bit bald on top. And, you know, he's wearing a nose ring. And I'm just like, who is this guy? They presented this idea of a fingerprint sensor. I'll be honest, Jessica, I didn't really think it was a great idea. But Nick, who I knew exceedingly well, thought it could work. Dale convinced me he was an incredibly smart guy. And I really saw the whole idea of passwords starting to be a, a problem. So we actually started a research project around that very idea. Was the biometrics area um, a, a busy place? I mean, you have uh, companies creating products to read your eyes. How big was was that space at the time? So in terms of actual dollars that people were spending outside of government, it was exceedingly small. In terms of the people that said they could do something, there was a lot. There was probably 50 or 60 fingerprint sensor companies out there. And what was it about your specific technology that made you think that you were different from those other companies? We, we truly had a better technology. You know, technically, all of them really were looking at the surface layer of your finger. So if your finger was dry or particularly if you were older, um, it actually had a number of issues. You know, as you get older, your skin becomes more supple. That's why we all have wrinkles. And so actually when you put your finger down on a lot of the surface-based sensors, the um, ridges of your fingerprint would collapse into the valleys and all you'd see was a big black blob. And so what we developed was something at least at the time we had brand named TruePrint. It was this RF or radio frequency field that read through the outer layer of your finger to your what we referred to as your live layer, right, where your true fingerprint resides. In fact, if you sand down your finger to, you know, basically it's nice and smooth, it'll grow back exactly, you know, the same way. While you were interested, uh, finally, Harris Semiconductor, the company uh, that you were all with, was not interested in pursuing the idea. And you licensed the technology from uh, Harris and then started this on, on your own. Was that a tough conversation or separation? Yeah. I mean, you know, first off, I was quitting a pretty good job to go start this other company. At the same time, Harris Corporation, the parent company, was exceedingly supportive. They actually helped fund the company to start. Now, uh, you had some failed demos. Uh, there are some stories of, you know, you're presenting to the chief technology officer at IBM uh, and y your technology not working. Can you uh, provide one or two examples? Uh, there's definitely demo hell, right? <laughs> so the, the one you talked about, I was uh, meeting with the CTO for IBM. 
So he sees the demo on the other side of the room. He puts his finger right down on the fingerprint sensor and it says, hello, Dale Setlack. And of course, is the co-founder and our CTO. So I was joking like, you know, well, it recognized you as a CTO, you know, <laughs> so um, incredibly embarrassing. Uh, there was another one with Phoenix Technology, uh, the BIOS for uh, PCs. Um, we were in a very small room and I was set it up on a separate table in the corner. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the system yells, access denied. And I'm telling you, it sounded so loud in that little room. And I ignored it. I was pretending like I didn't even see it. He's looking at me as I'm giving my pitch like, is there something wrong? Two minutes later, it does it again. So, of course, at that point, I had to admit there was a little bit of a problem. But you definitely feel, again, what people refer to as that demo hell. Tell me briefly about uh, just your impressions of raising capital. Here's the thing about startups. Everybody tells you who funded the company. What they don't tell you usually is all the people that rejected you. So to me, raising money, honestly, is like the guy on the side of the road with a cardboard sign asking for money. 98% of the cars drive by and don't do anything. You know, 1.5% throw something at you or give you the finger. And 0.5% stop and give you money. You beg. I want to talk about some of your early prototypes. Some of them didn't work very well. Can you tell me about that? So, you know, when our first product came out, it, it didn't work, our first prototype. And I, I mean, it didn't not, like, work well. It, like, freaking didn't work. So uh, that night, we called the entire team together, and, and it was probably, like, 7 o'clock at night. I asked the question, how many people don't think we're going to make it? I, 20 people in the room, I think 15 of them raised their hands. And... Jessica, I would have raised my hand, but I didn't think it would look good because I was the CEO, right? Talk about it, gave a rah-rah speech. And then, of course, as is important in any startup, we all went out and had some drinks. So the next day, uh, come back in, we map out the plan, gave another rah-rah talk. And then, again, we went out drinking. So that second night, I can remember going home. And I hardly ever talk about work at home. But that night... You know, I remember sitting down in our, our living room with my wife, and I was just, like, rambling on. I was just like, honey, I am so sorry. You know, I quit a good job. You know, we have the three kids. Uh, you know, I've ruined our life. I was just whining like crazy. And I, I'm pretty sure my wife probably said something in those two hours, but I don't remember it, right, because I was so busy whining. But I do remember this, Jessica. It's like at the end of the conversation, my wife said to me, you know what you need to do, so just go do it. You know, my wife could have turned around and said, yeah, you're right. You know, we need the money. Uh, you know, go get a job. But she didn't. Had she not said that that night, Authentech may not have gone forward. So it was an incredibly important moment in my life. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Scott Moody, co-founder of Authentic, the company that made the fingerprint scanning technology on your Apple iPhone. You worked a lot with dermatologists in developing the technology. How were they helpful to you? Really, the whole idea was to understand the various conditions of the skin. What I really gained experience on was 
outside, let's say the dermatologist, than actually testing. So we would go to construction sites, mm -hmm. right, to test, you know, people that were used to working with their hands mm -hmm. because they're all scarred up. They may be worn down. We would go to retirement communities. We would go to a lot of different places where, you know, there were populations that maybe have, you know, a different finger than, than I did as, you know, back then. Before you and Apple connected, you were focused on not just the iPhone or the mobile phone market, but computers and what other uh, instruments uh, were you um, looking to get this technology integrated in? So with? in the beginning of the company, we really had this idea, look, let's go develop the technology. And it has application in a lot of different markets. It can be, you know, for automotive, PCs, cell phones. But when we really saw that the PC market was taking off and then the cell phone market, we generally stopped paying attention mm -hmm. to those uh, other markets. Now, you chose the PC market at a time, though, when people were not maybe spending as much money for PCs because this is during 2008, right? All of a sudden, high-end PCs disappeared. Mm -hmm. And for us, the challenge was that was our market, these you know, generally over $1,000 high-end PCs. And if you remember, you know, the beginning of 2009, those weren't selling. So then how did you pivot then from your market, which at the time was high-end PCs, to then mobile phones? Really, the people that got us our start in, in mobile and, and really for the whole company in terms of the, the largest first orders was Docomo and Fujitsu out of Japan. The big issue, frankly, Jessica, was is that our fingerprint sensor was ugly. Uh, if you, you know, you literally could see and touch the fingerprint sensor. So the big focus when the downturn hit was if we really wanted to get into smartphones, aesthetics was incredibly important. And we started on this whole idea of how do we cover up the fingerprint sensor, mm. right, so that you don't really see it and it aesthetically matches mm. with the phone. And so I think really that gave us a big push right, to eventually be acquired. You went public in 2007, which was a big moment for you. I mean, here you are, a guy from New Jersey, and uh, here you are ringing the bell at NASDAQ with your, with your wife and three daughters. Can you talk about that moment for a second? So it was freaking cool. When you take a company public, it's kind of like winning the Super Bowl. My daughters actually rang the bell to open the stock exchange. And, uh, you know, every time I even say that or think about it, I get a little tingle and I just had one. That was a great thing to share, you know, with, with my wife and daughters. Um, and of course, the team as well and their families who also came up. When did you get on to Apple's radar screen? Look, uh, it's funny because people ask me, how long does the design win take? What does that mean? The, the, the design it's actually win? the OEM or the customer saying, we will design in your product. So the honest answer is anywhere between about three months and 14 years. In the Apple case, look, I met with them in uh, 1998. I don't even remember who. And then, of course, in 2012, they acquired us. And a year later, it came out in their, I guess, the iPhone you know, 5S. So that, what's that, 14-year design in? When you presented it in 1998, you probably were thinking about it for Apple computers. No, that's exactly right, because the iPhone 
nor the smartphones really as a category existed in 1998. Authentic was sold to Apple in 2012, but you didn't know what they were going to use the technology for. And it wasn't until Apple made the public announcement that they had this new touch sensor in their phone that you found out that it was in the phone. Yeah, I I had no idea. I mean, obviously, Apple's a very confidential company. They certainly didn't share their secrets with me. And so I was just like everybody else. And, And let me tell you, that was like, that was really cool. That was just probably as good as the IPO. And I didn't probably realize how big it was, like of an announcement, until my phone just blew up. Text, phone calls, emails, congratulations, and great job. Uh, really, I had nothing to do with the iPhone 5S or the Touch ID. I can remember a text from my daughter, my oldest daughter, who texted me something. I'm going to paraphrase this not exactly right, but it was something like, Dad, how's it feel to, you know, really, you know, change the face of mobile technologies? From a girl that, you know, it wasn't that much earlier that she really didn't like me too much. <laughs> that was neat. You started off as the CEO and then stepped down. How was that for you personally? I see that a lot, you know, with founders having to um, step aside from a leadership role and some take it gracefully, like, yeah, there's a better guy to lead this and some take it, you know, a little more as a punch in the stomach. Like, where are you on that spectrum? Uh I was incredibly happy when Larry (laughs) took over. Um, I was burnt. I was completely burnt. And and really, we had hired Larry, or I had hired Larry, who it took me six months to recruit into the company. Hired him before we went to the IPO, really with the idea that not long after the IPO, he would replace me. And I didn't really much like being a public company CEO. But that's when the 08, 09 downturn uh, happened. So... You know, frankly, the board didn't want me to go, and Larry didn't really want to take over about right then. So I committed to, you know, stay a couple of years later. As part of an a- another acquisition, it was, uh, it was really great that Larry uh, stepped in. Why do you think you were so burned out? I mean, is it just like inherent in a startup and an IPO and all of that energy and challenge that comes with that? Yes. And it's like, you know, you finish this marathon and somebody's well, hey, would you mind starting another marathon? And then you finish that marathon, and it's like, look, you know, I'll give you five minutes rest, but do you mind doing this other marathon? I want to talk about um, your upbringing for a moment. You grew up in New Jersey. You, what, what did your parents do? So, actually, my father worked here in New York for uh, a number of years. Unfortunately, in 1972, he was, uh, was laid off from the, his job, ended up uh, working... Uh, in some bars, and eventually my parents were able to acquire their own bar. What was he doing that he was laid off? So he was, uh, well, he was in technology, but if you consider technology typewriters at the time, so he was in uh, a sales of typewriters. There's a story that your dad, after he was laid off, pretended to go to work because he didn't want his children to know that he was laid off. I can remember not only that experience with my father, but, you know, certainly back in, in that generation where they didn't want to admit something like that. Mm-hmm. So I can remember when he first told, you know, my mother. Um, I can remember uh, driving, 
you know, a couple neighborhoods over or towns over to go to a grocery store because my parents were using, you know, food stamps at the time and they didn't want others to see it. So I had great, you know, incredibly loving parents that really taught me well. They just fell on hard times. I read about your father in a blog post that you wrote. This was on the eve of your having surgery for a brain tumor in spring of 2015. How did you even find out that you had a brain tumor? I was having hearing issues, and then I felt a facial tick. Uh, really just went to an ear doctor. If you're going to have a brain tumor, I had a good one. Uh, <laughs> you know, in that it was actually not in my brain. It was just up against my brain. And you found out that you had this tumor right when you were starting your new company, and you had just returned from a trip to Rwanda, which was the inspiration for starting your new company. So a lot going on. I had retired um, after, you know, Apple acquired the company. I told you I was burnt out. I was never going to work again. Um, Went to Rwanda. I had been there before on on mission trips. During the tour and, and the visits with various entrepreneurs in Rwanda, I met this woman. So I'm talking to her, and, you know, she had gone over right after the genocide, eventually opened up 15 different orphanages, started baking cakes for the kids for their birthday. Next thing you know, she's opening a bakery and baking cakes for people all over Kigali. And then she bought this coffee shop, and she only employed battered women. I mean, it's like, geez, how great can your story be? She was talking about expanding her coffee shop, and she said... I could use the proceeds from this to further God's will in other ways. So I went back to my wife. I I was done being burnt out. I wasn't dead yet, had plenty of energy. And that was the whole idea that, look, let's, uh, if we start another company and it is successful, we don't want the money. In fact, it would be embarrassing, but we could use it. You could fund these projects in Rwanda. And other places, right? So, you know, that was really the motivation for K4 Connect. This is sort of like the Internet of Things. There, where It's you exactly have... the Internet of Things. So it's this whole idea of integrating various devices and systems into, to me, a system that's responsive to my needs. Your first product is still specifically with senior citizens and people with disabilities. And what was the catalyst for that specifically? As I was really looking at where we were going to apply the technology, and actually I was meeting with this guy on a completely different subject at a coffee shop. He had reached out to me on homelessness. And so after talking about his advocacy, he asked me what we did. And I told him, and it turns out he has MS. And he used a cane, but I didn't know it because he was at the coffee shop before I was and it was under the table. As I introduced the subject, Eric stopped me and he said, look, let me tell you guys why this is important to me. He says, the way I look at my day is when I wake up in the morning, I figure I have the energy for a thousand good steps in my day. And how I use those steps defines the quality of my life. Then he pointed at us and he said, you guys can make my life better. And so, Jessica, I'll tell you, you know, for me, on a very personal level, it was an oh God moment. Like, if I felt called to start another company in Rwanda, like it was unbelievably freaking clear to me at that moment that that's why. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Jessica. I really appreciate your time. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest has been Scott Moody, co-founder of Authentic. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. From Scratch.